Hello and welcome to the Adrian Strong Podcast. I am your host, Adrian Haslett. I am joined by Ryan LaPearl with original music, sound engineering, audio production, and really the brains behind the tech of this podcast. Thank you, Ryan. You guys, today's the day. We have an incredible guest who is a badass Blade Runner athlete, a fierce advocate for amputee rights, and a friend of mine, Nicole Verkylan. She is she is amazing. We hear about her story of losing her leg, but mostly we talk about the discrimination that happens as a result of that and things that hold you back by insurance coverage and Medicare. And just when you want to shake your fist in the air and say, Adrian, Nicole, we want to do something. What can we do to make a difference? We give you something, something tangible that you can do and you can share with your family and friends to make a difference for all of us who are disabled and wanting to get active. That's right. We're starting a movement. This is the We Just Felt Like Running campaign launch. It is incredible. It is amazing. Nicole and I've lawyered up. We are taking on Congress to call them out once and for all for blatant discrimination and the White House. Do you think we're bluffing on calling them out? Ha! Huh. With Nicole Verkylan, show notes, post-production fact checks, and all the links to everything we talk about is on adrianstrongpodcast.com. I hope you enjoy. I hope you share. I hope you learn. I hope you get fired up to sign this petition. Let's enjoy the conversation. Nicole Verkylan, welcome to the Adrian Strong Podcast. Thanks so much, Adrian. Thanks for having me. It's so good to have you here. And here, I mean, I am in Boston, Massachusetts. And where are you? Yeah, I'm currently in northern Michigan outside of Traverse City, but I typically live in Seattle, Washington. Yeah, my hometown. Yeah, My hometown. Exactly. I know. I, I love that. I love that we have that in common. And even right outside of Traverse City, one of my best friends in the world, Dan, lives um, in Michigan also um, and near Traverse City. So I, I love that we, we those places are, are very familiar to me. They're home. Oh, I, yeah. 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 No. So we met um, we met in Ecuador which is yeah. kind of a weird place to meet somebody who's also from your hometown. We did not meet in Seattle, which sounds like that would be the normal, natural thing. But we met, um, as most people do, climbing an ice volcano together, which is <laughs> casual, just no big deal. <laughs> but really has the opportunity to create lifelong friends through that kind of experience. Yeah, you do, right? Because you're challenged. And in fact, I, if you're listening right to the listeners right now, uh, if you have not heard episode one of the Adrian Strong podcast, um, go back and listen to episode one. You'll hear from uh, Dave Krupa, who founded Range of Motion Project, Romp, which brought Nicole and I together in Ecuador climbing this ice volcano and have since become good friends. Um, and that was, you're right, it was such a bonding experience. Um, and thanks to Dave and thanks to these amazing organizations that that bring us all in. Um, and, you know, there's a reason why I had him on as episode one and a huge reason as to why I'm having you on. I am all about having conversations with everyday extraordinaries and you, my friend, are beyond extraordinary with what you have faced in life and what you are doing um, for other people and what you've advocated for yourself. And that is one of the reasons I wanted to chat with you. Um, besides the obvious, to just catch up. So I'm excited for people to hear your story. So tell a little bit, tell us a little bit about, we'll get into the, 
all the super exciting current events that we're talking, you and I've been talking about behind the scenes, but tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do for work. Yeah, definitely. Well, you know, part of the reason I'm in Michigan right now is this was one of the states I kind of grew up in, uh, in addition to Minnesota. And when I was eight years old, I was actually, um, that's when we found a tumor in my tibia bone. Uh, I was playing softball and just kind of had a, you know, tripped and fell, went into the doctor, had an x-ray, and that's when we found this egg-sized tumor in my tibia. Uh, and it was a complete miracle in many ways that we even found it. And the greatest miracle was that we eventually moved to Rochester, Minnesota, where I reestablished my care with the Mayo Clinic and had some just incredible oncologists who identified the cancer as an aggressive form of osteosarcoma. And, you know, within a couple months of discovering that the tumor was malignant, uh, went into chemotherapy and then had my uh, leg amputated on Martin Luther King Jr. Day. And, you know, I really uh, love the connection to that day in the sense of uh, the aspect of freedom and justice and equality, but also in relation to the work that I do now. And uh, just to kind of preface that a little bit in terms of fighting for justice and fighting for equality, it really is, is rooted in that experience of losing my leg. And, you know, the traumatic nature of losing a limb, anyone who goes through an amputation uh, goes through a traumatic experience physically, mentally, emotionally, and then to enter into a society that treats you differently is part of that challenge, but also to enter into a healthcare system that treats you differently and doesn't provide access to the things you need to live a full life just because of this disability is incredibly uh discriminatory, obviously, but also challenging. And for me as a 10-year-old, you know, one of the biggest things at that point in my life was I just wanted to have the freedom to go in the water with my friends and play, you know, especially growing up in the Great Lakes, being in Minnesota and Michigan. And uh, my insurance denied access to a waterproof prosthesis, uh, saying that it was a convenience item for an amputee. And, you know, given the fact that I had just gone through, you know, immense amounts of chemotherapy, hospitalization, surgery, you know, my family didn't have the money to pay for a prosthesis out of pocket. Mm -hmm. Very expensive, you, you know, 15 yeah, to 20 dollars for a below. But you cut out there for just a second, which is fine, oh. but I want to make sure that people have that amount. Um, clearly. Yeah. So yeah, so, say that one more time so that they can really hear you. Yeah, between 15 to $20,000, yeah. you know, a yeah. below the prosthesis. That's and the same kind I use just to give people reference. Um, it's obscene. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And Adrian, it's, it's incredible to think about, you know, it's been 19 years now uh, since that amputation. And for me, I mean, it's still the case that amputees can't access waterproof prosthetics. It's still considered a convenience item to be able to go in the water, to be able to shower. Yeah, I think, I think, and I don't, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but you, you mentioned shower. I think people assume that when we say we want a waterproof leg, people that hear that might think, oh, well, so you can't swim in the summer. But the reality is, think about people walking in and out of the shower, like, or walking right. in and out of the tub. And not just that, 98%, I don't know, my stats is not, my status are not correct, but there are a lot of showers that have a tub attachment. And that means climbing over that without a leg slippery wet. It's incredibly dangerous. In fact, I'm sure you know this, uh, Nicole, I think it's important to tell the listeners that a lot of people become above knee amputees um, because of a fall in the shower that are already below knee amputees. So it is, it is very, very dangerous. And so if you think about just showering your own children or going to the pool and trying to give your child a swim lesson, like this isn't just us wanting to party at spring break, you know, a shower right. leg is, is a exactly. necessity and a safety issue um, for, for so many. Yeah, it's, you know, basic life events that turn into a war zone in many ways for us and things that can have, you know, a detrimental impact. I mean, I have fallen, you know, twice uh, as a result. Oh, of my whole spine, when you said that, my whole spine shivered yeah. because yeah. so so it's, it's difficult to describe what the end of a below knee um, amputation looks like especially in a podcast where we don't have visuals, but I'm going to try and do this really quick for the listeners. Make a fist, 
um, with your hand and your uh, knuckles of your pointer finger and middle finger are like your tibia fibia. And there is not there are not very many muscles on top of that. So if you think about walking in and out of the shower um, or falling on your knuckles, that is that is what we're referring to. It is very dangerous and very um, tender um, for for people. So yeah, I, my whole spine shook when you said that. I had one very serious fall, um, and I'm lucky I didn't break anything. It was very shortly after, which is common where people have falls very shortly after because we forget we don't have a leg uh, mentally. You can still feel it a lot of the time. And I had a very significant fall to the point where I never even used crutches. Like it was enough for me. It was so scary that it was enough for me to never use a crutch. I I decided I'm just going to use a wheelchair until I can walk in this prosthetic. Like it's, it, it just, yeah. 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 It's, it's it's amazing. Like having a fall, pretty much everyone will remember those moments. Like you mm -hmm. don't forget all because it's so painful. It's traumatic. You know, when I fell, I landed on my leg and I ended up having to go to the hospital. Um, I mean, I'm an active young person, so I can't imagine what this is like for someone who's, you know, maybe not as strong and the, you know, effects of falling that you might have. But yeah, it took, it took weeks to get back into my prosthesis. And that was just because it's something simple that could have been prevented. Yeah. And for people wondering why you can't get back into that prosthesis, it's, um, it swells your leg, you know, you obviously could have an open wound injury, obviously, but even if you don't have an open wound injury, your leg gets really angry that you just fell. It gets very, very angry and very swollen. And therefore it just, your, your leg doesn't fit. Um, and so you, you can't wear it for a long time. Um, and if you have an open injury, uh, that needs to heal. So, so we had, we had a lot of information there about um, who you are and, and what inspires you to do what you do, which is now everybody knows, you know, how extraordinary your story is. And, and I want to go back to what you mentioned at the beginning, which is how amazing it is that you had that, you know, unfortunate fall during softball, but that you were able to get that scan and find that cancer early because you can only imagine, and I'm sure, you know, your parents have imagined what that could have could have been if that had right. gone unnoticed and so it is like you said um it's really a miracle that 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 happened but yes you grew up near the great lakes and you wanted to be able to swim um and yeah. you want to be able to do the things you know shower and and do the things that our friends want us to do and i think that that is how how old were you when you lost your leg so yeah i was 10 years old 10 um, years old yeah and no matter what age you are, you want to keep up with your friends. It doesn't matter if, if you're a kid or a toddler or, you know, or my age, I was 34 um, when, when I lost my leg. But, you know, I think what people don't realize is that it can really make you feel excluded. And you're right that we are disabled. And I think the world and the healthcare system disables us more, right? Like they're the reasons we're not able to do the things that we want to do, Um and those prosthetics are insanely expensive, as we all heard. Um, and you wanted to be an active kid. So did you have, when you first got your leg, did you have an activity leg or was it an everyday leg? Uh, right. Yeah. So I only was given just one prosthesis. Um, it was not built for activity whatsoever. It broke, it would break down constantly. You know, I remember being in gym class and so many times, you know, I'd be trying to be as active as my peers and it would just break. And every time the foot broke, oh. you know, it'd be, you know, one to two weeks just waiting for a new foot to come in. And so that was incredibly um, disabling. And it wasn't because of my, you know, disability, like you said, it was because of these policies that kept me from having access to a secondary prosthesis or a prosthesis specifically designed for physical activity. And, you know, as I got older, started playing, you know, I wanted to play sports. I wanted to be able to do that with my friends. And I played, uh, you know, varsity softball uh, at my school and same sort of thing, you know, wanted to try and get access to a running blade uh, so that I would be able to kind of keep up with my peers in that way. And again, had that denied saying that it was not medically necessary to have a leg to run with. And, you know, that was really hard for both myself and my family to go through that, you know, again and again to constantly face these denials and just to face this message of you're not worth it. And, 
you know, that your life isn't worth having access to what everyone else has. And to just face that discrimination so many times, I mean, it really does a number on your self-confidence and your self-esteem. Um, but, you it's know, I It's dehumanizing. I, I mean, it really, really, it's dehumanizing. It's saying, oh, no, you're not worth it. Like everyone else can run around and play softball and, but not you, like you're not worth it. That's, that is exactly what they're saying to us. Right, exactly. And so part of that, you know, it's, um, you know, there's a, a depression that can be associated with that, but there's also a fire that I would say kind of has built up within me Amen, to the sister. point where, <laughs> yeah, I'm in, I'm in college. I've decided, you know, I want to, I want to be a runner and I started running five K's, 10 K's, and then started training for my first half marathon and, you know, just loved it. I just fell in love with running and it was just so exciting to be able to kind of move my body in that way and to also be able to participate in these races that had thousands and thousands of people. I did this one race called the Big House, Big Heart. I went to school at the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor. And, you know, you run through the streets with 10,000 people and end, you know, at the big house uh, on the fields. I mean, it was just so incredibly rewarding to be part of something like that. And I think that, like you said earlier, is a huge part of the disability, uh, you know, elements is inclusion, being able to have social inclusion. That's it's not just about, you know, having access to physical health to have these resources to do that, but to be able to participate equally in society and to be able to be included in these amazing events. Um, so then, you know, I started training for this half marathon and I mean, let me tell you, Adrian, it was one of the most painful things I've ever done. I was doing it yeah. on a walking thesis. Oh my gosh. It was, yeah, it was just debilitating. I, was, I had constant sores on my leg. Uh, I had huge amounts of back pain because by this time, you know, I'm in my early twenties. I've been doing everything on just one prosthesis, a walking prosthesis. And so the right side of my body has been overcompensating all of these years. And I ended up with a sacral torsion pelvic asymmetry, which basically meant what that I was running my pelvis out of alignment mm. by running on a prosthesis not built for that. And, you know, I would right, wake because, up. And- because when, when, and I just want to, I'm only interrupting you to explain this to the listeners. When you are overcompensating on one side, you, your other side takes a full beating. So you and I are both what we call LBK, meaning lower below, left below knee. Um, amputee. Mm-hmm. And, and so you're, you're compensating. The other thing that I I'd love for you to describe for the listeners is why is it, I know this already, but why is it that a walking prosthesis takes, is so different and takes its toll on your body than a running prosthesis? What is the difference if you could describe it so that people really know, you know, oh, I, I, I can hear you say that, that this is, that it's difficult in the walking leg, but wh- why is that? Why is it that the running leg is different? Yeah, I mean, there's a number of factors, and I think oftentimes people assume that uh, the prosthetic technology is so advanced that that it has been able to replace every single function of the human body, but that is definitely not the case. Walking as a, you know, from a kinesthetic movement perspective is very different than running, and so you have a prosthesis specifically designed to mimic the natural movement of walking, and then you have a prosthesis specifically designed for running. So the difference there is the amount of energy return that the foot provides and how the foot is made. So the walking prosthesis, um, you know, you have like a a heel toe kind of rollover when you walk versus on the running blade, you mainly just push off of the uh, toe. And that's, it's a very different type of movement. So, I mean, I can technically walk on my running blade, but it isn't designed to have that natural walking pattern. Um, And then the big difference between my walking leg and the running leg is the spring. And so I think a lot of people have probably seen, you know, the carbon fiber running blades that are kind of in the shape of a C. And that's Mm -hmm. a huge, a huge amount of energy return comes from that. And a a thing that I want to clarify is it's not an unfair advantage whatsoever. This is going to be a huge topic in, in the next Boston Marathon for sure. Right. There's a huge amount of research to show that it is not an unfair advantage. The amount of energy return that provides is not even equivalent to what your, you know, normal intact limb provides. It is providing a little bit more than what a walking leg does, but it is nowhere near above and beyond, uh, you know, the human body. And that's something that I want to make clear. But then there's also yeah. the aspect 
of how the prosthesis is designed and you can get into the kind of the nitty gritty details of suspension systems, liners. Right, right. But I think the that. basic, I think the basic idea is that, is that the walking leg and the running leg are so different that you can't do one or the other in the other. Exactly. Right. That's what, that's what I want to stress is that you do need both. You do need both to do each activity. Right. Exactly. And I think the idea that um, you know, that we expect people to do everything with just one prosthesis, even well, you though can't. we can't, I mean, you, to go back yeah. to what you were saying about training for this half marathon, and I, I kind of got us sidetracked, but I wanted to really hone down the idea of why these legs are so different, but you were training for this half. And then right. how did, so, how did that turn I, out? Yeah. So in a sense, it's kind of like a, I would say that having a walking leg is like tugging along a brick on your, um, that is a great way to describe it. Yes. It gives you nothing back. Yeah. So that movement basically misaligned my hips to the point that I had so much back pain that in the morning I would wake up trying to put my socks on and I would just be in tears Mm. and, you know, I pushed through it. I finished the half marathon, but I started to question, you know, am I meant to be an athlete? How can this be sustainable? You know, I would try, you know, I was working at the time um, at the University of Michigan, you know, doing a, a, a job that I really loved and, you know, required a lot of my time and energy, but I would get to work and I'd be like in so much pain. I'm like, how can I do both of these things? And so I started to, you know, talk to my prosthetist and, you know, said, hey, let's try and find a new prosthesis that, you know, will both be covered by my insurance and also allow me to be physically active to the level I want. And we ended up going through 26 appointments over the course of an entire year. I used up all of my sick time at work and I ended up with the exact same prosthesis that I'd had for the past five years. And, you know, like I said earlier, that fire that had been building inside of me, it was finally time to unleash it. You know, it was the tipping point me in a sense that I was like, this is totally not right. This is unfair. Um, and I need to do something about that. And I realized, you know, there were other people just like me that were constantly, you know, hitting these roadblocks and that we needed to find a way to tear them down. And so that's, you know, when this I This is decided- why we're friends. <laughs> this is why we connected so deeply. Because <laughs> this sounds very familiar to people that know me well. Yes. Yeah, this kind of fire within. And, you know, I decided, all right, I'm going to quit my job and I'm going to take on a 1500 mile triathlon down the West Coast, starting in Seattle and ending in San Diego. And we decided to call it Forest Stump. And, you know, it was a it was fun in the process of planning that one of my best friends who actually did uh, my first half marathon with me. You know, we were joking about, you know, what could we do to raise awareness? And we joked about running across the country. And that's where this kind of forest stump name came about. But, you know, a big thing for Kathleen, my friend, you know, as we were training for the half marathon, you know, she was getting faster and faster and was not having any issues. And for me, it was, you know, one step forward and two steps back. And so she realized, you know, as a person who is able-bodied, you know, what the challenges that someone with a disability goes through. And so myself, Kathleen, my partner, Natalie, and my mom, we joined together and had, you know, this team of four women uh, go down the coast together. And I mean, it was, it's been an incredible journey since and, then. And it's, it is an incredible journey. And I, I know I've heard um, a lot about it just in hanging out with you, but if anyone wants to see that, um, that, incredible journey. Uh, it's captured in a movie titled 1500 miles and we will have that link in the show notes. So show notes can always be found at adrianstrongpodcast.com. Um, and that you can see that movie and the incredible journey and some of the challenges that you face. And it's a triathlon. You do the biking, swimming, running. Right. Yeah. We wanted to show that in each one of those instances, you know, an amputee could use a different type of prosthesis, but are currently not able to access those because insurance denies them as not medically necessary. Um, and yeah, I would love to have people watch the film. It's a 17 minute short film. And I mean, the journey itself was absolutely incredible. Um, at the end of that journey, you know, not wanting to give away too many spoilers, uh, but, you know, it's a critical part of the rest of my story was the fact that I got connected with a charity known as the Challenged Athletes Foundation, and they were uh, able to grant me my first running blade. And since then, it's unlocked an amazing number of doors to have access to that. 
And kind of as we were explaining earlier, I didn't really know what the difference was between a walking and running leg prior to having access to that until I got to experience it for myself. Yeah, you and can, now, just like we're trying to do, we're trying to describe it to people, but it's hard to describe unless you're actually feeling it yourself. Right. And, you know, now that I have it, there's no way that I would ever go back to running on a brick. I mean, it's it's incredible. When I first put it on, you know, I was a little nervous, you know, because I'd seen really only elite athletes, you know, with it. And so I thought, wow, you know, I was a little intimidated. You know, is this going to be hard to learn how to use? And so when I put it on for the first time, it honestly felt like I had my leg back. I mean, that's how much energy return that it provided and how natural it felt. And it also shaved off two minutes per mile immediately. Yeah, there we go. Well, from a running perspective. I feel a need um, for speed. Yeah. So so that's, I mean, you talk about the, men, we talked earlier about the mental challenges of losing your leg because of the lack of coverage by insurance, but also, you know, those 25 appointments that you had only to have the coverage be for the exact same leg you're already wearing. Uh, the right. mental challenge of that, of just being told over and over and over again uh, that, again, we're not worth it. You know, we're not worth investing this money into. So it just, it it drives me mad because there are so many uh, amputees in this country. For those of you um, wanting to know the stats, there are um, 2.1 million amputees in the United States. That includes arms and legs. Uh, and 507 new amputees every single day. And so, it, you know, we're not a minority. And I think some people think, oh, well, we're just a minority. And one of the things, Nicole, that I love that you and I talked about the other day on the, on the phone when we were talking about this, this project that I want to, I wanna, of course, share with everybody. Um, one of the things we were talking about is that I feel and I'd like to talk a little bit about it here, I feel like people think we're a minority because they don't physically see us out and about, A. And B, they, the reason for that, well, I guess B and C, the reason for that is because um, we don't have access to the legs to get us outside the front door of our house, most of us. I do, but us being the community. And right. C there are amputees among you that you just don't know. So I, if I'm in long pants, you won't be able to tell that I'm an amputee, right? So I mm -hmm. think that people think that we're a minority, but the reality is we are not. And, and we do have this new division of the Boston Marathon with the para division that will happen as soon as <laughs> the marathon happens again, back when we can resume normal life, whatever that is. Um, and you know, I remember, you know, fighting for that so hard and thinking and being pushed back with, you know, oh, well, we don't know if we'll have a large enough field. And I thought, well, they're, they're out there. They just don't have access to these things. And you have shown up for races and won races because there's nobody else out there. But A, you're fast. I don't want to take away from that. But also, <laughs> also because there's nobody else there, right? And none of us want to win by default. I want it to be packed full. I still want to win, but I want to be packed full with with people that are challenging that, right? And so I think that that's a that's another reason that right, we don't exactly. see people out there. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head in terms of you know this community, especially if you broaden it beyond amputees and include individuals you know who might use wheelchairs or mm -hmm. um, robotics or whatever it might be. I mean, the dis disability community is the largest minority in the country. And like you said, it's really not a minority. It's, you know, one in four people have a disability. So it's an incredible number of people that are out there. And I think it's so important to recognize that just because you might not see these people show up at a race, it's not because they can't do it, that there are so many other barriers that you yourself have never had to go through to get to the starting line that all of us have had to think about. And I, you know, I remember one in particular, uh, you know, I wanted to do my very first triathlon. I ended up doing it just by myself in northern Michigan, which I think a lot of people with disabilities end up doing just, you know, if they want to do something, they just go out and do it. They're very entrepreneurial um, and they just find ways to make it work for them. But eventually I wanted to do and participate in a race with other people. And so I had contacted the race directors ahead of time, you know, said, hey, I just need help to have someone watch my prosthesis at the beginning because I don't swim with it on because it's not waterproof. They said, no problem. We'll have someone there for you. And then I showed up for the race and they said, nope, we can't help you. 
And it was extremely difficult. I mean, I'm standing there trying to decide between doing this race or damaging my $20,000 prosthesis. And that's a a decision that no one should have to make when they just want to participate in a race. Gut-wrenching. Because if if someone... Any, I know I have a large, a lot of my listeners are runners and and athletes in general. And if, oh, it's going to make me cry. I told people I was before this, that I needed all the tissues. So it, it is gut wrenching because we all know that what gets us to the start line is nothing compared to what gets us to the finish line. So if you show up to that start line, having already Mm -hmm. done everything, like you said, called and, and made all the arrangements and trained, and then someone says, nope. Right. That is exactly. mind numbing and so um, discriminatory, eh? But, but again, you know, I think listeners might think what your gut says is, oh, just start yelling at them and make a big deal and then they'll do it. But that's not what, when someone says you're less than, it, it doesn't make you want to fight all the time. It makes you want to retreat. And you and I talk about this fire that we have inside of us, but I don't want to miss, I don't want to sound like that's all the time. Not certainly not for me. And I know not for you because, right. you know, and, and for a lot of people, they don't even want to try that. You know, they won't even call ahead. They don't even want to put themselves in that vulnerable position because um, they are afraid of getting turned down and they've already been turned down a million other times, like at the grocery store when the wheelchair lift breaks and nobody's there to even do it. So they have right. to go home without any groceries. I mean, but, and but, oh, go ahead. Of, uh, there's an element of embarrassment too. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's hard. I think it's hard for people to talk about, um, these things, not for us, but it's hard for people to talk about ableism, which is, you mm-hmm. know, having complete disregard for people that can move about in the world without a second thought it's hard for mm-hmm. people to talk about ableism because it's hard for any of us to believe that we have aided in someone else's suffrage, which is the same right. reason I think why, you know, people at the beginning of the Black Lives Matter movement, well, this is, it's always been a movement, let's be real. But mm-hmm. since George Floyd's death, people are like, oh my gosh, that's so sensitive to talk about, so sensitive to talk about, because we don't want to admit that we had no idea that we were aiding in that, even if it's subconsciously. And so, but these are conversations that we need to have and why I flip and love talking to you about it because we can do something about it. And part of that is, you know, I, I'm going to say it, you guys, you got to fill out the census because it's not just, you know, it's every, it's every, you know, Joe average straight white guy that we need to know about so we can compare them to the people that are disabled and everything else in a census way to be able to have these numbers so that we can use these stats to our advantage um, in our communities, exactly. and and you know, I think I think people assume that we are. When I think of ableism, and I think of what that means, and then we'll get into this um, just felt like running campaign because there is. I want everyone to know this isn't just event fest. We have a big, 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 big thing that we want to ask of you to turn all of this around. And I really mean all of this, but I first want to talk a little bit more about ableism and I want to hear what you think it is and what it means to you. Because for me, it looks like calling disabled people inspiring for simply navigating a system that is designed for their exclusion while doing nothing to hold that system accountable. And, Mm -hmm. and so for people listening, going, I don't know, what can I do? I just want to do something, but I don't know what I can do. Tell me about, oh, see, here it goes. Here come the waterworks. Tell me about the Just Felt Like Running campaign. Yeah, definitely. Tell us how we can do it. Tell us how we can change this. Because everyone listening right now is throwing their fists in the air and going, I want to do something. Give me something to do. Give me an action item. Right. And this is a way And I'll just sit here and cry while you talk about it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I wish I was there to hand you a Kleenex. I've got Um, it. I've I've got Kleenex. Good. Uh, well, this is a, a really exciting opportunity for people to take action. If you've felt, you know, fired up in this call, if you've felt, you know, the same sort of tears that Adrian and I have felt on a daily basis, sometimes, you know, this is a way for you guys to take action for the disability community. And specifically, we've launched a campaign called We Just Felt Like Running. 
And it's part of Forrest Stump, which is now a 501c3 uh, nonprofit advocacy organization. And we're calling on the community to help us run across the country, virtually run across the country during this time right now, to D.C., from Seattle to D.C., to deliver a Yes. <laughs> and part of this race, delivering a signed petition to Congress to uphold the rights of Americans with disabilities to exercise. And this is a really exciting petition that we've started. Nothing like this has been done before. And specifically, Nothing even close like this has been done before. Nothing. Exactly. Asking, you know, Congress to uphold the Americans with Disabilities Act, which guaranteed the right for people with disability to participate in all facets of society. But clearly that is not the case when individuals with disabilities are not able to access sport, physical activity, exercise, because insurance companies deny access to assistive technologies like running prosthetics, like high-activity orthotics, like sports wheelchairs, or even the you know sighted guides that the visually impaired community needs to run. And we're calling out this discrimination uh, to Congress and asking them, as well as insurance commissioners and healthcare providers, to upend this status quo and to challenge this current narrative that we're facing. And it's it's really exciting to have this. We need as many people as possible to sign on to this petition so that we can really make a change for the disability community. And I'd like to say, you know, oftentimes the disability community is often thought about last. You know, when we talk about diversity, equity, inclusion, a lot of times, you know, we talk about women, we talk about racial justice and all other forms, but usually the disability community is forgotten. And this yes. is a way that we can remember the disability community and take action for us because it's been 30 years since the Americans with Disabilities Act was passed. And it's about time that we have something like this in our legislative agenda. Amen. First, let everybody just pause really quick and just take that in while I catch my breath and cry more. These are happy tears, people. Um, it is so important. So I think what is incredible and what people might not know about the Americans with Disabilities Act is, or might know it and need a refresher on, is that you know it guaranteed that everyone with a disability had a right to the same advantages, both employment and to move about in society the same way that able-bodied, I don't like able-bodied people, but that's that's the term we have now. So able-bodied people have. Now, that didn't include activities, as Nicole and I have been talking about. That didn't include activities, but they said, you know, that's considered a luxury. That's considered a luxury. In fact, it was just um, five years ago today, which I saw this morning, thanks for my social media memories, that we went and, and and fought that not a luxury um, campaign at the first time mm -hmm. um, for just regular legs. But what is important to note here is that the Americans with Disabilities Act passed, except for exercise. And that's not mm -hmm. right, right? Because they actually state, they being lawmakers, they being the government, they being Medicare, they being insurance companies, uh, state that Every American has a right to exercise every day and is recommended to exercise every day, right? They have that written. Right, exactly. Yep. And the uh, physical activity guidelines that our U.S. government, you know, spent uh, millions of dollars to, you know, have a panel to uh, tell individuals the benefits of physical activity and recommend, you know, daily physical aerobic exercise. And yet they tell us that it's a luxury. So that's where Nicole is lawyered up, has petitions, has everything ready to deliver this to Washington, D.C. to say, if you are saying that every American has a right to exercise, except for us, it is blatant discrimination. So that would mean what? That would mean we all have access to orthotics, to the wheelchairs, to the running legs, to the activity thing that we need in order to live our best life and have a right to exercise. So this, we just felt like running campaign, you can go, I'll have all this in the show notes. I know a lot of people walk and listen to this, so they don't have their pen and paper on them. You can go to show notes again at adrianstrongpodcast.com. We'll have all of this there. It's about to take all over my social media, all of it. Um, what we're doing is making sure that we're pledging, not only signing the petition, but pledging miles 
to get to how many miles? 2,758 miles across the United States. In uh, one day. In one day, October 3rd. Yeah, October 3rd. So you pledge however many miles you want to do that day. And to include all abilities, you can walk, you can swim, you can roll, you can hike, you can do 0.5 miles. You pledge the number of miles that you're going to do. And that will hopefully as collectively with all of these people um, get to 2,758 or double that, uh, to get this petition uh, signed by everyone uh, to Washington, D.C., so that we can overturn this, because it is blatant discrimination. And we want to take it to Congress for our right to exercise. Exactly. And, I mean, this will be a game changer for the community to be able to have access to this and to the immense amount of work that you've done, Adrian. And, you know, with the Boston Marathon, providing uh, us an opportunity to run alongside everyone else in a category uh, in that sense. But we also need the assistive technology to even get to that starting line. And this is a huge way that the community can help us get access to that. Without a doubt. And, you know, speaking of, of a marathon, I heard from a little birdie told me that you're pledging 26.2 miles that day on October, October 3rd. I am. And I mean, this is going to be a really special moment. You know, when I did my first half marathon, I set a goal that I really wanted to do a marathon uh, as well as kind of the next goal. You know, a lot of people do this um, and I, you know, wanted to do the same sort of thing. But because of the challenges I was experiencing with that walking leg, I thought, you know, maybe I'm never going to be able to do that. And now that I have this running blade, I know that it's possible for me. And so I've been going through the process of training for this, and I'm super excited. Uh, it'll be by myself kind of thing. Well, with my partner, Natalie, alongside me as my support I love, crew. I love her so uh, much. Yeah, you know, climbing with us too. But, I mean, yeah. it's going to be uh, a really fun, and I'm excited to be able to conquer those 26.2 miles on race day. It's that's incredible. And what what a goal to have. And I think that's what we're that's what we're talking about here. Right. Is that you can't set those goals if you have a million people in your path saying, no, you don't deserve that. No, you're not enough. Not you. I mean, people should run marathons, but not you. Americans should Americans should run or exercise at least once a day. In fact, we're going to spend millions of dollars to tell people that. But Mm -hmm. But not you, not you guys, not right. not exactly. one in four Americans. We just mean the other Americans that that are cooler than you. I mean, it's just maddening, and it 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 is so degrading. And as fired up as Nicole and I are, there are people that we really want to keep in mind that are not fired up, that are unable to work because they physically can't get out their front door. I mean, that's not uncommon. And whether that's because of a wheelchair or because of a prosthetic or an orthotic um, or any mental, dis- you know, it, it is, it's not okay. And, and it is blatant discrimination. And I think, you know, I know in my community, online community and, and my friends uh, and family, everybody wants to do something but we don't know exactly what to do. We want something tangible to be able to do. Um, and with the community, you know, whether you walk with your family that day, you know, that's a big <laughs> or run. It's it's good to get outside and get exercise. And in these COVID days, we're trying to socially distance. So you can plan a hike with your family or your little pod of, of people you're quarantining with and, and pledge what miles you're going to do. It can be one, it can be half, it can be 26.2. Um, and really get out there and feel like you are making a giant difference because you are. And you can also sign that petition because we need 20,000 signatures. Is that right? Yes, that would be a monumental uh, be, to be able to get to that level. And I know that we can do it, you know, getting this word out to people. And, um, you know, if everyone who signs it can share it with five people, I mean, it's amazing what a difference that can make. It can. I mean, I, I, I viscerally remember turning over that one leg a lifetime law in New York City and trying to get signatures for that. And the, um, the legs are not a luxury campaign and getting signatures for that. It is a it is a daunting task to get that many signatures Uh, but it is so doable because you share it with other people. You share this podcast with other people and you say, do you want to know all the information? It's right there. Hear these stories. Hear about how 
Nicole couldn't think about even doing a half marathon or that or that triathlon because we didn't have the leg. But now we can have that. And you're right about, you know, this division that I have. It is, um, I don't know how much I've talked about this part of it, but it was as much as it was brought up to me about how excited the Boston Athletic Association is to have this new division. It was also brought up in that same breath that if people don't show up, it's not going to, it's not going to stay. Right. So Mm -hmm. we have to have people showing up and just think of how large of a field it will be if everybody has access to running legs. Right. Exactly. I kind of liken it, you know, not from a a legal or policy perspective, but I liken it from a a statistic perspective with Title IX, which gave, you know, women the opportunity to participate in sport. And since then, since having that passed, you know, the increase in women participating in high school sports has gone up 900 percent. And the women participating in college sports has gone up over 500 percent. And I want to see those same kind of numbers for the disability community. I mean, there is a huge opportunity for us to participate and to be at those starting lines and to participate in various types of sports. Um, so I think this is it, there's a huge opportunity here. And I am hopeful for the day that we can look back on this moment. Um, but we've got a lot of work that needs to be done in order to get to that. And we need everyone on board to help. Without a doubt. Absolutely. I did a panel with uh, some some women uh, elite runners last year at the Boston Marathon Expo, and we talked about Title IX, and they talked about how their big dream to run the marathon was only the beginning. Like, they thought that would be this this um, largest, their largest goal in life, and then they realized, oh, well, if I, if I ran the marathon, now I can ask for that job promotion. Oh, well, if I ran that marathon and I had the guts to make that goal, I can make this other goal. So it's not just getting people out and participating in sports. It's getting people out of these funks that people don't believe in them and able to set other goals. I mean, just think of how many people are being suppressed and discriminated against who may have the most beautiful art we've never seen, but hasn't expressed it, who Mm -hmm. may have this scientific breakthrough, but they can't get out of the house to show us. And we haven't expanded their mind and their abilities to be able to do this. And what about the person who has this gorgeous singing voice that we haven't heard because they don't have the confidence to be able to do that? And anyone who's participated in sports, whether, you know, I'm talking a lot about marathons and running because that's that's my jam. But, uh, you know, just to be able to run with their kids or play volleyball with their kids or do something to make them more active, they certainly don't have to become some pro. Um, But just to have that activity and the endorphins that will propel them forward to their next goal and their next adventure is, is pretty amazing. I mean, going back to what you and I did together, we climbed an ice volcano. Um, right. That was pretty awesome. I would have never done that if I didn't have people yeah. giving me the legs that would say, oh, you, you can do that. Right. Yeah, I, I felt a huge sense of a, a transformation after I received my running blade and just, you know, it was the physical aspect of having it. But much more than that, it was the sense of self-worth. It was this this confidence that kind of came with it that, I mean, it's hard to even describe. But after that moment, you know, everything just kind of unfolded. And, you know, like like you said, never in a million years would have imagined that I'd be climbing a volcano, would um, end up going to the Paratriathlon National Championships and coming in first place. And, you know, what, now what? These, yes. yeah, and running a marathon. I mean, it's it's unlocked so many doors. And I've seen that, you know, unlock so much in other people, unlock an incredible amount of potential once people have access to what they need. And that's exactly what this is doing. Absolutely. And, you know, I think, I think that unlock, like you said, unlocking what people's potential is and, and just knowing that it's a human right. I mean, look, we can't keep telling certain groups of people that they're not enough. I'm sick of it. I know you're sick of it. I know a lot of this world is sick of it. In this political climate, it is so hard and so tough. But you're right in saying that, you know, People with disabilities are the largest minorities, and it affects every single race and gender. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we need to speak up for them, and we need to do something. And finally, 
we can get angry and actually have something we, we can do. We can sign this petition. We can run, walk, wheel on October 3rd, all 2,758 miles. And we can make that difference. And we, we can get people excited about this. And, um, oh, it just makes me so happy to be able to share our friendship, your story, um, this movement that I'm so proud to be a part of with you. I know everyone will be. Um, and I want to end with a quote because anyone who knows me knows I'm obsessed with quotes, including you. And it mm-hmm. made me think of you. Um, and it's by Robert F. Kennedy. And it says, let no one be discouraged by the belief there is nothing one person can do against the enormous array of the world's ills, misery, ignorance, and violence. Few will have the greatness to bend history, but each of us can work to change a small portion of events. And in the total of all these acts will be written the history of a generation. I love that. I mean, the Kennedy family has been so supportive of the disability community. Um, And, you know, to be doing this alongside you, Adrian, you're such a fierce advocate as well. And I, you know, what I love about that quote is that we all, you know, at some point in our life have these opportunities to, you know, use our voice, you know, to challenge the status quo. And that's exactly what people can do as part of this. And it's just an honor to be doing this alongside of you, uh, to be starting this movement together. Well, thank you so much, Nicole. And I'm a huge fan of the Kennedy family. Also, I um, was their dance instructor for a while, and uh, I partnered with Joe and his campaign now to raise awareness for voting in the disability community, which I'm hoping to have him on the podcast about. Um, but I'll send, I'll save a link to that speech that we did together uh, about the need for mail-in ballots for disabled Um a little yes. fact. A little fact is that most disabled people don't vote because they don't feel seen, mm-hmm. um, which is which is really hard. But guess what? Not anymore. Not when we all work together with this. We just felt like running campaign. Um, thank you so much, Nicole. Thank you for being on the Adrian Strong podcast. I am one thousand percent confident that you will be the guest when this all goes through. Uh, I would love to have you back and talk about this monument. Um, momentous moment in history. So thank you so much for being a guest. Awesome. Thank you so much, Adrian, for having me and look forward to what we'll accomplish together. Thank you. 